Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp and I'm just interrupting you as you listen to whatever it is that you actually want to listen to to tell you about the second series of Middle Please Umpire. Middle Please Umpire is a podcast that I, Miles Jupp, if you weren't concentrating when I first introduced myself only moments ago, that's not a criticism, your thoughts are your own and you must focus them wheresoever you yourself choose, host with Mark Wood, the 95 mile an hour bowling, England playing World Cup winning Northumberland hailing cricket lunatic Mark Wood. It's another series of episodes of the two of us talking about cricket and indeed any other stuff that springs to mind both with each other and also with a succession of frankly illustrious guests. We lift the lid on Mark's life as an international sportsman, basically he spends a lot of time icing himself, and take you on a whistle-stop journey through the windmills of his mind. I, a mere fan, listen agog, giggle excitedly and try and draw comparisons with my own rather more mundane existence. All episodes of Middle Please Umpire are available right now from your favourite podcast providers. And welcome to Stop Hammer Time. My name is Phil Whelans, and uh, with me this week are Jim Grant. Good evening. Hello, Jim. Hi. All also, well? it's uh, yes, not too bad. You? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Good, good. Um, back again. It's always wonderful to have him. It is a journalist and author. He is author of several books, uh, West Ham related, uh, Irons in the Soul, Hammers in the Heart. And I think the most recent one was Goodbye to Bolin, uh, but also like other books, uh, Hoovy and Dad, Joy of Essex, Man About Tarn, and the most recent, uh, What Are Words Worth? It is uh, journalist and author Pete May. Hi, Hello, Pete. Good to be here. It's goodbye. You haven't squeezed out another book about West Ham since Goodbye to Bolin. No, no, there could be one about the uh, attempt to sabotage our uh, Champions League effort. That's right. Yes, yes. I think you should should start start scribbling right now, Pete, and get that. Uh, Goodbye to Bolin is excellent. Uh, It's an excellent book and a very good uh, sort of nostalgic jog through our time at said stadium. Um, I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, Also with us, it is a, a tech and video game writer, employee of a huge amount of newspapers during the time when the print medium was at its height and its most successful. He is now, he has adapted like, uh, like, not the shark, which hasn't adapted over millions of years. Uh, he has adapted like Robocop adapted from being an ordinary policeman to a cybernetic policeman, mainly made of uh, machinery and servos, uh, but with a human brain, which is very much what this guest has. It is uh, Director of Newsroom Innovation at The Telegraph, Dan Silver. Hello, Dan. Hello, thanks for that wonderful introduction. Thanks. Um, is that the best introduction you've ever received, Dan? It's the, best, it's the best I've had this week, for sure. Right, oh, great, excellent. Well, that's um, that's set the benchmark pretty high for me. Um, I might have to introduce you again in a few minutes. Um, but 
We've got a few things to talk about this weekend. Obviously, a bombshell has uh, has struck the world of football uh, in the last uh, 48 hours. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but first of all, um, <clears throat> over the weekend, it was announced that with immediate effect, Sheffield United will break away from the Premier League, sparking a wave of powerful reactions around the country. Boris Johnson has vowed to do everything in his power to allow this to happen. And Gary Neville's impassioned shrug captured the national mood. Sheffield United, famously immortalised in the expression, go fuck yourself, Sheffield United, said the decision was in no way motivated by money. It was purely a footballing matter, specifically not being good at football. Consigned as they were to the drop by Newcastle's victory at the weekend, the Blades immediately pledged to take legal action against West Ham United for fielding an eligible player. They contend that under the terms of his contract, Craig Dawson is subject to second party ownership by the club, which is expressly permitted under FA regulations. How else can you explain West Ham's decision to play Dawson, said a furious spokesman for the Blades, other than that he was available? Henry Winter, as in you too, Henry Winter, I haven't forgotten about you has already offered to appear as a witness and write some dossier or something about Craig Dawson and be all like, oh, look at me, I'm an expert on football and that. Where the fuck does he get off? And Sean Bean, Jesus wept. I don't even know where to start. Fuck me. Uh, that, was in, uh, that was in the um, <clears throat> Financial Times sports Financial Times. Yeah, I yeah. thought I recognised the sort of, you know, the, the, the Very... uh, reportage style. Very much uh, the, the Financial Times is adopting a kind of beat poet stream of consciousness like Allen Ginsberg's Howl or, uh, or um, The Naked Lunch by William Burroughs. That's what the Financial Times is yeah. like now, if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, but it's online. <laughs> like a cybernetic, uh, cybernetic. It's mainly a cybernetic newspaper now that's mainly yeah. online. Um, so... Um, Events have somewhat overtaken uh, the fact that we played a game of football. The Hams played the Browns up at Newcastle at the weekend, and uh, and we lost. Uh, it was a very unusual experience to lose a game of football. Such a talented and gifted side are we. Uh, we had uh, drawn and won two, and then with the same scoreline as the ones we won, we lost. Um, what do we make of it? What do you make, Dan? What did you make of it? Um, well, I, I had quite a surreal experience on Saturday, actually. Um, I Did you take my, magic mushrooms, Dan? I, I took magic AstraZeneca. Ah. Well, oh. I, had, I had forgotten. I thought we were playing at three o'clock. So I'd scheduled my jab up at Guy's Hospital for 105, thinking I'd brilliantly get back in time to see the kickoff. Right. Obviously, we were kicking right. off at half 12. So I scheduled mm. it right in the middle of, of Craig Dawson's mad minute. Yes. So, um, so we recorded the game and then did a likely lads trying to get back and not knowing yes. what had happened to watch it. So I, I was a couple of hours behind everybody else. So while you were all kind of elated, I was very much despaired and, and, and went through that cycle, um, which is a, a long-winded way of saying I thought it was quite a disappointing result, but quite quite an entertaining game. It was, and, yeah. And I think, you know, I've seen obviously the hand ringing and the, and the pearl clutching on social media. But I think if you'd have given any of us, you know, seven points from those, the three games we just played with Absolutely. our arm off, um, uh, or sorry, even six points from the three games we'd just played with a bit in your arm off, but, but they just came in a, in a surprising order. You know, I right, lost yeah, to yeah. Leicester and beaten Newcastle. And I, I think such was the overconfidence going into this game amongst the fan base that, that it felt like a catastrophic defeat. Whereas, in fact, you know, it was a, it was a, a sort of self inflicted first half and a very, very spirited and impressive second half performance. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think, Pete? Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to agree, really. I mean, I, I was. I was expecting that to be a difficult game and, mm -hmm. you know, and at some stage you, I just thought those injuries are going to have to have yeah. to prove costly without, without Rice, without Antonio. And, and I think we, we really missed Cresswell, you know, we missed his crosses. We did. Yeah. 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 Even, even Arthur Masuaku, you know, might have made a bit, a bit of a difference. So, you know, I, I knew lots of people were expecting us to win, but they were fight, fighting for their lives. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of thought after the season we've had, um, 
You know, it's not a yeah. disaster to lose one game and you can't really legislate for suddenly Craig Dawson turned into the Dawson we knew at Watford instead. Yes, yeah. Of yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you couldn't... Uh, that and the Fabianski era, I mean, there's not a lot you could do about it. No, that. no. Disappointing at the end, though, obviously. Having got back, yeah. Jim, but we yeah. character, so not a disaster. Jim. No. Um, yeah, I mean, it... it it, it, I, I said in the podcast last week that I felt I feared this was a, the big banana skin, um, and we we just crammed uh, a, a kind of you know half a season's worth of individual errors into uh, into a single virtually into a single half, um, uh, and, and we haven't made many this season. You know, in the end, no. you know it, it catches up with you. Um, uh, yeah, Newcastle were were up for it in the, the first half, but we were. I felt, you know, at the time that the the, 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 the crucial uh, sort of um, mistake for the first goal came, um, I thought we'd weathered that, and I, I thought we were beginning to sort of settle into the game. Um, and thought... actually, the second half, I thought with, with ten men, I thought I thought some of the football we played was fantastic, and, and we won the second half, which is all you could really have asked of them. And it was it was just such a shame they switched off after getting getting back yeah, into it yeah. um, for the third goal because I think we deserved a point out of the game. To be honest, I thought um, for that until our mad five minutes from minutes thirty six to forty one. One thing I thought was that they managed us very well. Their game yes. plan was very good. They yeah. sat deep, but they didn't soak it up uh they employed what one of the pundits uh, uh called and this is an expression i've never heard and she might have made it up it was that alex lady or match of the two she said a low press as opposed to a high press she said this was mm. a low press which um i think she made up in in a, <laughs> in a fit of i think maybe she was on opium and she just made up the expression low press just to impress, you know, um, whoever she Danny Murphy or whoever was with her. Um, and I've done that. I've made up words to just try and impress women uh, that I'm with. And uh, they've simply extemporated me. And, um, but I thought that they, you know, what, what they did was they did sit back, but they weren't sitting back. They were very busy. I've never, and I like John Joe Shelby, I've never been, seen him be that busy. You know, they, they came out and closed space down in front of all our attacking players extremely well. And one thing I thought was, because that meant we could play higher up the pitch, there was a time not long before uh, that blunder fiesta where Mark Noble was sort of in an Ian Bishop type pulling the strings position in the middle of the park. He ran several yards to his left, put his foot on the ball, turned round, ran to the right, did his famous 360 degrees and then passed it like two yards to a player, you know, that had made himself available next to him. And I just thought we have to, if a team does this, of course, we've got to be patient and pick our way through them, but we've got to do it with some sort of speed, you know. Absolutely, the and tempo it, wasn't there, and he does, he really slowed us down. I think you know in that in that first half. I mean, he'd done such a good job, um, you know, in the previous games. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, in in a different kind of game, in a different tactical tactical That's right. game. Um, and by no means, and, you know, yeah, slagging him off. We needed to we needed to play that at, at a much, much higher tempo um, because they just, you know, when they uh, got in sort of set into position, we, we didn't have a, a means really of, of, of picking our way through it. And, and Lingard had a quiet first half. He had his, yeah. probably his quietest first, you know, half. Of and I think they had a lot to do with it. They had a lot to do. Yeah. With I think that, they know. kept him quiet. Yeah. They, you know, done their homework, you know, yeah. and, and of course they had the, the threat of Sam Maximana on, on the break, who was excellent in the first half, you know, really, really, really pacey. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, fair play to them. They, they, they're, they're possibly in a slightly false position. They've got some good players. They're not, they have, yeah. They're not a, they're not a, they're just, oh, no, with, with the possible exception. Well, even though, even, even uh, you know, uh, Sheffield United, we struggled against, we, to, to a certain extent yeah. up there. So there are no, yeah, as they say, it's the cliche, there are no easy games. Well, I mean, ironically, I think maybe Noble at the end might have been more useful. Yes. Yeah. 
that's when we suddenly looked wide open as when they got the uh, the winner. Well, actually, yeah. we 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 sort of um, reverted to type because they yeah. Newcastle went into a kind of tailspin of panic once we scored those two goals for them. And um, so the second half, the entirety of the second half performance, if not the kind of remaining uh, 10 minutes of the first half, um, we looked much more like the West Ham of the previous two or three games. And in fact, Noble played very well, I thought, in that bit until he went off. Um, You know, it, it, people sort of talk about sort of tactics of managers and stuff. And if if Moyes had sort of had a crystal ball and seen how Newcastle were going to play for those first 35 minutes, I think he could conceivably uh, not have had a three-man central defence. Mm. I think, you know, because Ben Johnson, I don't think there's a lot to choose between Ben Johnson as a left-back and Ben Johnson as a left-wing-back. You know, part of that three at the back strategy was to sort of release Masuaku to be just a wing back rather than a catastrophic left back. And um, I wondered whether, in fact, Moyes did it because he knows we've got these games coming up. Uh, He wanted to give Angelo Ogbonna some game time, but didn't want to, you know, put him out with just one central defensive partner. So he sort of thought, oh, I know, I'll play three at the back, bring Angelo, put that in that, and have wing backs. But in fact, I think we could have played 4-4-2 in that game. Possibly. I think he was concerned about the pace of Sam Atzeman. I think that, that would that would have been a factor. Um, yeah. I said at the time, I wouldn't have minded seeing Fredericks just deployed to match mm. him for pace. As, as, as you know, um, oh, I think season four last, Fredericks play, played, uh, we, we, we did particularly well, I thought, at home against Liverpool. It was when they got that offside goal. And Fredericks yeah. played in that game and was superb against uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Mane, I think, you know, so... Yes, um, absolutely. And I mean, I don't know, you know, that, that, that's a choice between two blokes playing on the wrong side. And I sort of yeah. think that Fredericks w- would make as good a makeshift left-back as, as Ben Johnson and is quicker than Ben Johnson. Mm. Yeah, but again, you know, I don't think, you know, Moyes hasn't got a crystal ball and can't predict the way Newcastle are going to play because I don't think... I I don't you know the times we've played them before when they've had Sam Maximan and uh, Almiron in the team they have sat back and soaked it up like an away team and pumped balls over the top of us and they weren't doing that this time and Moyes wasn't to know that they weren't going to do that but I I think he could have played four four two probably in that game which might have released a spot for Ben Rama to be more sort of in the team and more creative. Yeah, but it's like you say you know t- teams lose football matches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we weren't ever going to go, and and um, uh, you know, I think if you look if you look at the last four games, the four fixtures: Arsenal, uh, Wolves, uh, Wolves away, Leicester home, um, Newcastle away. You know, to to come out of those four fixtures with seven points is probably what most of us would have expected at yeah. best, really. You know, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so. I mean, we're still in there and fighting, aren't we? I mean, there was something gloriously West Ham about managing <laughs> to lose a goal and have a player sent off. You know? Yeah, yeah, in the same in the same move. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Teams that could do that. Yeah, uh, it, it was. I mean, it was an extraordinary um, uh, passage of five minutes of football, wasn't it? Um, you know. I don't know. Yeah. Sort of yeah, a, like my control from uh, Craig Dawson there. Yeah. Yeah. I think we were, um, you know, I, I sort of think we were a little bit shaken by that sort of, you know, daft goal and still slightly thinking about it when, uh, uh, you know, the corner came over for the second one. It's so quiet that I think you hear Fabianski sort of go, keepers, and then drop it. So he was yeah. essentially that, lying. Yes. Yeah. No <laughs> yes. He should, yeah, yeah. He should have been sued for misadvertising what was about to happen. Um, but yeah, you know, it was sort of uh, when it came down to eight games to go after 30, I wrote those games down on a piece of paper, which I now have for every podcast. And really, you sort of, you know, you can't expect us to win every one of those games. And, um, you know, so far we have won one of the slightly more difficult ones, which was Leicester. You know, as you said, Dan, looking at the last few games we've played, we've probably got the points total we could reasonably expect just in a slightly odd order. 
This is, I mean, this is the funny thing about being a successful team that I think none of us are used to and we're struggling to come to terms with, the fact that you do suddenly start to expect to win games. Yeah. And it's just, it's an unusual feeling. And then when you lose those games you expect to win, we're kind of not really sure how to react. I mean, I've, I've kind of been saying recently that I'm finding this Champions League challenge as, if not more stressful than a relegation battle. Because... Yes. In a relegation battle, you you kind of expect to win one or two. You know, there's one or two games you kind of look at and you think we'll win those. Whereas when you were competing for the Champions League, you have to win every game. If you lose, yeah. if you lose once, it's a it's a massive setback, and it, it just seems to be much more stressful. And I think yeah. that combined with the fact that you know it feels like a kind of once in a in a generation type opportunity. I mean. You know, yesterday it looked like we were going to win the league. Now, now it looks like we might be going back into the Champions League, and that combined with the fact that you know our squad is essentially held together with string and sellotape, yeah, just makes it a really stressful experience. And I can't say I'm really enjoying us being a successful team at the moment <laughs> because the stress of, of expecting us to win is just getting too much to bear. I agree yeah. with you about the tension, but I think it's it's an enjoyable tension. It is like get, you know how you feel before cup finals and things. Whereas you know the nerves and stress when you're when you're facing uh, you know a relegation battle, it is that you do go into those games just expecting the worst, and therefore you know any li- every little crumb of comfort uh, um, you know hits home. So uh, the, I, yeah, I kind of agree with you, but I am in, I actually am, I am enjoying it. The nervous tension. I must, I must say that the stress at the end of the Leicester game was, I think, oh, yeah, more yeah. stressful than <laughs> yeah. the relegation situation yes. I can remember in the last few years. Yeah. That yeah. final yeah. corner, yeah. my God. You needed to be like watching it with, you know, a priest with you, like somebody on death row who gets a priest to visit them at the last. It was extraordinary. Um, You know, I think for those teams that are sort of, you know, maybe they're ahead of the entire division and they're just sort of. The, the possibility is that they might be caught. You know, it, it becomes what it's felt like a lot to me, which is just you know, just try not to lose and just keep putting some points on the on the board every game. And that was, you know, we've got three points against Leicester. We very nearly got a draw against Newcastle in a game where, lest we forget, we played an hour with ten men, and um, you know that's quite an accomplishment. And uh, uh, you know. We go again, and uh, each of these games, I think we, you know, the fact that we didn't sort of collapse when we went down to ten men was a was a you know quite a testament to the spirit in the side. I mean, they just that, didn't know they didn't know what to do with us. They didn't know it. the first half of the the first half of the second half, the third quarter of the game, we were just absolutely rampant, you know. And it's yeah. just a shame we couldn't have sort of a uh, uh, stuck, you know, another one in. Um, and I, and I think that I thought um, I thought Fornals in particular was just was just magnificent in that game. In that second, he was just everywhere, yeah. <laughs> cropping up everywhere. He ran and ran and ran. I, I you know I I I I love his energy and his kind of his just kind of passion for the game. Really, um, uh, and it was interesting that he's well, he was one of the uh, I think he's been the was the only West Ham player who came out and said anything about the the, the Super League thing. Um, uh, earlier on, um, uh, and and you know, expressed the same or you know sentiments that a lot of people have expressed, but it was mm. good to see. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, you know, it was, it was sort of an encouraging game. It's a you know, it's a harder, it's potentially harder on paper game we got coming up at the weekend, Chelsea, which we'll talk about at the end. Uh, but we really ought to talk about this uh, uh, European Super League uh, stuff, and we will do that after this message. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web 
at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back. Uh, well, um, uh, some of you guys have seen further sort of developments uh, uh, over the course of today, which I failed to see. But um, uh, yes, a very strange thing. Um, you know, Sunday night, wasn't it? The first I saw was Gary Neville's furious rant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I had to look on the BBC website at what this story was. So I sort of read the thing, and actually I just kind of went, well, it's just sort of Kerry Packer again, isn't it? Or, you know, that sort of Indian Super League, or, you know, the fact that the boxing, you know, after sort of Muhammad Ali and Joe Bugner and all the boxers from George Foreman from when we were kids, throughout the 80s and 90s there were about nine world champions and the whole thing was a kind of... uh, you know, torturous clusterfuck where no one really won anything. And I sort of thought they'll do it for a couple of years and then, you know, they'll find a way with their tail between their legs to sort of somehow combine it with the Champions League again if the Champions League goes ahead without those 15 teams in it or 12 teams in it. But then but then I think when I read the story, it, it the BBC. I don't know if the BBC's reporting was kind of editorialising it or whether they were sort of quoting a statement from the 12 teams. But, of course, that statement sort of said, the competition will take place during the week and then, of course, at the weekend, we will go back and play in our, you know, Serie A and the Premier League and uh, La Liga. And um, I think it was then that I sort of thought, oh, will they? Won't they? Were they is that, are they saying that or has everyone said that? And then it, you know, seemed, oh, I sort of thought, oh, that's what the rage is about. They might get kicked out of uh, the Premier League and various other competitions. And that was when I sort of thought, ah, this is what people are sort of furious about. Very strange if they assume that they would just be able to do this thing and then play in their domestic leagues at the weekend. Do we think that that's what they thought? They just assumed well, that everyone I mean, would go, oh, yeah, that's fine. Go and do this new thing in the week. We'll see you on Saturday. <laughs> what they felt they were leaving was was UEFA and the and the Champions League. Um, yeah. They, they didn't, I don't think, see it as abandoning their own. Domain. But, of course, didn't really quite follow through what, what the reactions that be. And also the logic, I mean, the impossibility, really, of them carrying on playing in, in, a, in a league amongst themselves, which is a closed shop, um, in which they're, they're, they're playing these kind of megabucks uh, games against each other midweek. Um, uh, and then competing, in theory, in, in, in highly intense competition in the, in the leagues of the weekend. They were just going to end up with so much money, they'd have a squad for, for the Premier League and put out a week, you know, their B team would play in the Premier League effectively. You know, that, that's where it would have gone. Um, but I think the real rage, Phil, was 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 a, was about the, the essential um, undermining of the kind of the kind of principles on which the what's European football is based, which is a competitive league pyramid structure in which the lowliest of of teams with investment and or you know um improvement and 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 good management and skill can rise to the very top it's about you know what we find thrilling as football fans is is leicester winning the yeah, winning yeah. the winning the premier league west ham challenging at the at the top um you know the up and down you know the the, the movement of through the leagues of, of, of you know, look at the you know the number of teams that have played in the Premier League since its in- inception is very, very kind of large number. Going, you know, mm. Bradford and Barnsley, and uh, you know, um, so so supporters of teams even now in in the National League or in League Two can dream of the idea that they might eventually see their their team rise through that through that structure. Mm. Um, and I think American owners, in particular, just don't get that. They just don't understand it. They they have no. That's not how American sport works with its franchise system and so on. Um, and uh, I think they massively kind of misread misread the reaction. Um, and it, it also smacks potentially of kind of, of, of financial desperation on the part of one or two of them. 
because they're all heavily leveraged, <coughs> aren't they, with, with, with debt and whatever. And clearly, you know, they, 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 they've eaten up <laughs> huge resources already, which they've spent on, <coughs> you know, kind of, kind of um, stadia and galactico players and agents mm. fees and all this kind of kind of mega things that they've created uh, and now they just want kind of more that that's that you know they we have allowed in to football this insatiable monster and and the roots of this go way way back the it, you know it, it was a bit of a kind of shock when it when it came out but we've been building towards this ever since the kind of the premier league began really i mean this is where it's all logically been heading if you if you if you have these super billionaire owners this is what they're going to want fellas what do you they make don't of want it? the risk of losing what, their money what do you make of all of this well i mean you know this is merely like the the formal codification of what's been happening as you say jim over the last 20 years i mean the champions league practically is a clone shot um you know the yeah. the the big teams the, the power brokers in Europe have, have forced concessions year after year in order to make it harder for other teams to qualify for it. And this is basically, you know, the timing of this is, is, is shocking because obviously it's in the middle of a, of a pandemic. But they've basically looked and gone, well, you know, there's several of us that probably won't qualify for it this year. So, so why not? Let's just actually close the shop instead of having a pretend close shop and just make sure we have a, a tournament that we, can, that we can't fail to qualify for. I mean, it's, it's, it's just the logical extension of where the game's been going. Um, so anyone who's kind of surprised by this, I think, has, has just not been paying attention mm. for the last 20 years. Mm. You know, it, it's just the timing that, that, that has been a surprise. Um, the fact that it's fallen apart, I think, is is incredible. And I, I agree, Jim, that they they kind of underestimated the, res- the response. But I think they just they just thought it wouldn't be a thing. You know, they don't. This none of the fans in in this continent factored into any of these plans. You know, this was a, a move to make a global content yeah. proposition for people in North America, for people in Asia, for people in the Middle East. You know, the fact it was announced at 11 o'clock on a Sunday when Europe's asleep and those other well, countries Well, yeah. Are, are, you know, it's, it's a sort of... Ex- yeah, it's a sort we of... Extra- the legacy fans, you know. It's an yeah, extraordinary thing, isn't it? It's, it's a sort of, like, you know, why did it come out of nowhere and why did they ambush us with the news? I mean, it's clearly... When, you're do- when you've got a big surprise for someone that you're sort of keeping carefully under wraps for ages, it's either going to be like that when, you know, like when... Um, when David Bowie suddenly put out a single when he hadn't done anything for 10 years, it's either going to be that or it's going to be something like Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's going to be like really bad news or really good news. And of course it was really bad news. And um, it's the fact that they sort of, they did do that, but they sort of knew it was bad news. And that's why it was like sort of phrased in this way that like, you know, it's just, it's just a midweek thing. Don't worry about it. It's just, we'll be back. We'll be back playing football at the weekend. And you just think, but everyone will hate you. I mean, well, just... Actually, well, was it a whole, the whole thing to stop West Ham, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could have been... Um, of course, the whole of Europe. A <laughs> long, long plan to prevent West yeah, Ham from ever achieving any means anything. This plan it. started in 1967 after Bobby Moore, <laughs> Martin Peters, and Jeff Hayes. It's like the uh, it's like QAnon a the- theory that, yeah. that, that football um, has essentially been predicated on not letting West Ham achieve anything. Yes. I mean, it was either an attempt to upstage the whole kind of, you know, reorganisation announcements about the Champions League, yeah. and the, the, the Swiss League system that was, was coming in, you know, sort of to kind of, kind of uh, undermine that. Um, or you sort of got that sense that maybe they had to go live with it because there was, it was going to be leaked or, or something like that. Because you, mm. you'd expect there to with, with these kind of their business empires or whatever there to have been a really slick pr machine ready to roll for this and that uh, and actually there wasn't was there and there weren't spokespeople nobody was coming out and kind of no, apart from the real madrid guy uh blathering yeah. on, talking the most saving ordinary hypocritical shit i've uh, ever heard anyone speak actually it was incredible. what kind of idiots does he take people for you know oh it's young people have gone off football uh we're gonna have to make the game shorter uh, yeah, young people hate save the game 
Um, that's what yeah, he was yeah. saying. That's yeah. his, his argument. Young people, young people hate football. They've yeah. gone off it. Because, because that's the other thing about it, What where it was all headed. I mean, clearly these, Amer- particularly the American owners, you know, this has been the game plan from the moment they... Bought into the whole the whole deal. I mean, they 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 wouldn't have been just going to happy. They they've seen this as the massive a massive global, you know, investment opportunity. It, they were going to be outside UEFA and FIFA, and so therefore able to. So so it wasn't just a kind of simple breakaway. It was it was a breakaway much more akin to great schisms that have like the one that um, you know happened with with rugby league and rugby union. They would they would be free to change the laws of the game, yeah. so to rearrange it in the way that they wanted. So the, you you almost have like have two different codes of football in a way. And I think that one of the the kind of big misnomers of the last few days is everyone calling it the European Super League. At no point did they call it the European Super League. They called it the Super League. So yeah. the fact that it was just European teams announced at the moment. Um, you know, if I can put my my full kind of tin hat on, a tinfoil hat rather, um, you know, it, I think they were moving to a place where they could bring in um, teams from other continents yeah. and then they could start franchising. And, you know, I don't think, I think if this plan would have gone ahead, I don't think it would have been beyond the realms that, you know, they would have moved teams around as they do in North American sports. And, you know, if all the Arsenal fans decided they didn't want to go to this, fine, we'll move Arsenal to Abu Dhabi. You know, mm. I, I, I think their end goal here, as you say, Jim, was just to create an entirely new code that they could do whatever they wanted with. And and the fans were just collateral in collateral damage in, in kind of moving all this stuff around to, to suit their own ends. I mean, it, it was it, it's genuinely shameful that it was allowed to get this far. Yeah. I mean, I think it has concentrated people's minds on what we do value about football. Yes. How it is nothing without that competitiveness. And and I just wonder, you know, in this league, you know, if, if there's two teams, five places from the bottom and six from bottom towards the end of the season, you know, who can't get relegated, you know, who would have watched it? You know, would you actually tune in? To... Yeah. I, 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 think think that's, I, I think that's why I think Dan's sort of view of it is absolutely right. Sort of... Um, you know, it sort of occurred to me that, that essentially the amounts of money they're talking about, they, they see football as a kind of television uh, sport. And and when, you know, with this notion that you might see uh, Manchester United playing Boca Juniors or River Plate or Corinthians at some point, it's, you know, you could see it being this sort of model that in a sense... Um, the game is essentially a television game and that you get to see your heroes at a massive stadium in the way that, you know, you listen to a group's record, you know, uh, all the time. And then every couple of years they go on tour and you go, I can actually see, you know, Damon Albarn or, you know, St. Vincent or someone like that because they're on tour and I can see them. You don't really see it as a sort of spectator sport. You see it as a TV support that's supported by big live events, which are these, you know, marquee games. You know, one of the one of the sort of uh, drivers of this thing was like, um, over the course of the Champions League, you play too many shitty teams. Manchester United play RB Leipzig and, you know, um, Parathenaikos, whereas really what people want to see is they want to see them play Real Madrid. And you just go, well, then those will just be demonstration games. They might actually, in a kind of closed-circuit league, be pretty shitty games as well. Mm. You know, um, fairly evenly matched teams, you know, sort of in this tournament where they see each other every year and play out this kind of tournament. But, um, you know, that Real Madrid um, chairman or whatever, you know, I think it's Barcelona that are a, a billion pounds in debt and mm. talking about these amounts of money, you know, I think it... You know, they're talking about this Haaland guy, this, what is he, Norwegian striker, being possibly the first million-pound-a-week footballer. And I think this financial model of football is just simply not sustainable. No, it's not. You know. I mean, and... um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we've got to be, I mean, clearly, it, you know, this has been, as we said, been going going this way for a long time. And, and you know, there's some irony in, in UEFA and FIFA, you know, stepping up now and sort of, Defending the principles and the, and the and the ethics of a game when they've allowed a World Cup to take place in in Qatar in plainly yeah. 
like corruption in plain sight, wasn't it? Really, um, absolutely. And 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 it's you know the whole thing has blood on its hands because you know if essentially slave workers have died building those building those stadiums and and you know yet yeah, not much there hasn't been much protest really a, a, a about that um but i you know i i think one would hope seeing as it is now as we have sort of as we are doing this podcast crumbling away with man city and chelsea withdrawing i think barcelona apparently have, uh, have said they're not going to do it now so the whole thing is kind of falling apart you have to wonder if 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 the, the kind of the hope is that out of this moment of overreach um we might all collectively kind of kind of football might in, collectively take a take a um a look at things and think well you know we just really need to get a number of things in order like potentially capping transfer fees or salary or salaries uh yeah. you know some kind of <laughs> Body independent of uh, of the Premier League, whatever you know, set up to oversee and look at the look look after the the sport um, as a whole, grassroots and all. You know, I mean, it might be that out of this will come some kind of good. Uh, you, you know, that's I'm, I suppose I'm an eternal optimist. But <laughs> um, yeah. So, what is the latest? What is that has happened? Because I, I, you know, yesterday morning I was sort of thinking very, you know, idly in the shower or doing the wash up or something. I was thinking, yeah, what about Manchester United and Chelsea? Because they don't, you know, they don't run sport for a living like the Fenway Group and Cronkier and um, the Glazers. You know, what they, you know, Abramovich. Um, um, blackmails authorities and kills people for a living, and um, the other country rapes the natural resources of uh, that region for its money, and um, uh, and stones women, and um, so uh, yes, yeah, so, so it's quite interesting that they were sort of the two of the first ones to pull out. If that is sort of what's happened, because I think that probably is, you know they're kind of going, well, we don't really need this as much as, you know, everyone else claims well, to. Well, yeah, yeah, possibly. But in terms of the money, that might be true. But I, and the story was that they, that City and, and Chelsea were, you know, the, the the most reluctant. But, of course, once it was clear the other the others were going, did, didn't want to be kind of left. Yeah, of course. Left behind. I mean, well, must one of, the, of that. Yeah, I mean, the fallout is going to be, you know, I mean, there's going to be a lot of fallout. And, of course, actually... They've signed contracts. They have broken Rule Nine of the Premier League, um, so there needs to be um, some kind of some kind of punishment for what they've done. And I'm not quite sure what the rules are or what kind of how that would how that would go. But you, they can't just sort of having done this suddenly roll back and say, uh, "Oh, oh, we were just joshing. We're just kidding with you." I mean, well, that, they, that, that, they, you know, that initial that initial um you know statement from the from the 12 clubs this sort of notion that yeah we'll just be back playing in our domestic leagues at the weekend i don't know if it had, it must have occurred to them that they might not be let back or there might be some sort of sanctions i mean i've seen i've seen the words written down um they're not allowed to punish us, you know, essentially that sentiment expressed that, that we're perfectly within our rights to do this. Um, but that sort of, I've also seen a screen grab of that sort of Rule 9 bit of whoever it is, FIFA or UEFA or the FA. That's the Premier League. It's yeah, the Premier League, the Premier League. yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I don't think they expected the government to react so quickly either. No. For all three no. parties to be united. Um, that that really feels funny like... if Spurs were the last team left. That's what I'm hoping happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Spurs will stick it out for as long as they can. It's the only table they've ever got a top in. It will win it. It's it's sort of extraordinary that. Um, I mean, it's almost perfect for the the worst element of Tottenham Hotspur fans who are obsessed with the abstract notion of being a big club trademark uh that there's just this thing that and says you're a big the, club a go, yeah we'll join that well, of course sorry sorry dan there's a one in the year as well phil so they're, oh yes there's <laughs> a one in the year so they're, they're yeah they're, yeah, they're yeah due to win the title this they year, are yeah. yes yes so of course the one yes yes um yeah so well so, i mean they might not have had a a big kind of 
PR thing ready to roll, but they they apparently have. I mean, they've got lawyers ready to roll, haven't they? There's already been some injun- injunction in Madrid about st- that they can't stop people playing for their international teams that UEFA can't. Um, so I imagine they are very tooled up in terms of uh, litigation and were prepared for legal battles over over these sorts of things, which, of course, could drag on, you know, for years, potentially. So um, uh, whatever punishment might come their way, they'll, they'll, it'll, be, it'll be fought over. But, of course, it might end up being kind of, you know, the individual clubs kind of on their own. I mean, this, this entity of a Super League might... might Seems possibly might not exist. Who actually is the 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 big you know the big the big cheese the big brain behind behind this? I mean, none of that has emerged, has it? Really? Who are no. the prime movers? No. But, but also, Jim, I think like their their legal arguments would all have been about allowing them to play in this league, and now they're going to have to reverse ferret, and their legal arguments have to be about allowing them to keep in the existing leagues. Yes. So, yeah. you, yes. you wonder yes. how prepared they are that for that about turn i mean i I think it's fascinating and and, you know i i can't wait to to see what happens next i mean you know i i we were were briefly discussing this earlier but they they have to face sanctions and they have to face the most severe sanctions because they've actively plotted and conspired to undermine and effectively kill the league that they compete in so you know they have to be made an example of and they and they have to be punished so so this kind of thing doesn't happen again i i mean i you know points deduction relegation I think this all has to be on the table. Make them be fifty-one percent owned by the fans, like in Germany. Yeah. You know, follow that. Well, I mean, mm. clearly that that has been part of what's kept the German uh, yeah. restrained the German teams from from. I mean, you know, I, I, I think they were they were a Dortmund, a Bayern Munich, and a PSG away from this actually happening. You know, um, probably um, PSG are Qatari owned, aren't they? So you can see uh, why politically they might have, you know, they 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 owe a lot, don't they, to FIFA, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and to UEFA by by association. So um, you can see w- you, the, why they might have st- stayed loyal in that respect. But in Germany, there are different rules about um, club ownership, aren't there? Which seem to be much more sensible. Yeah, it's only um, to have a fan representation of, of that level. But I think the the annoying the annoying thing is that we might have missed our opportunity to reset the game in this country. If those six had gone, then that would have given the rest of us a chance to actually reset football in the UK. Now they now they've remained with us. We've almost missed that opportunity. You know, Jim, yeah, Jim Hurt, friend, friend of this show, wrote a, a a very good blog about it this morning. Yeah, you know, when we still thought they were going, that you know this is our great opportunity to reset the game in the UK and. And I think that, unfortunately, that horse has bolted. But what would happen I, if, they, I, if, they, if they did go, if they actually left and weren't in the Premier League anymore? Uh, so they just play those midweek games in this new competition they've got, which is how many? It's it's two teams of 10, so there's nine. So there's 18 games if they just play everyone twice in a sort of league in those two groups of 10, because it's, it's the 12 plus three plus five that have to qualify. And then I guess some... You know, some working towards the final. So it's only going to be about twenty-four games a season instead of a team that plays its domestic league and plays in the Champions League and can play close to forty games. They're, so. they're planning a league and then some kind of knockout with the top half of it at the at the end. Yeah, but I mean, that's only going to be like you know early twenties yeah. games for each of those teams. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it would be sort of catastrophic for them. I would have thought. Well, they could a lot of time to go on tours of you know Middle Eastern, yeah, places of weird friendlies. It's about, I think, you know, if you think of, if you look at where the thinking is coming, it's from this American model of sports, isn't it? and it's about creating this enormous content. I mean, most um, uh, American football franchises only play sixteen games in a season, mm-hmm. like eight home games in a season, um, but. It's wall-to-wall coverage of who's on their roster, who are they trained. You know, there's this huge amounts of TV studio verbiage that people get very, very sucked into. It's all very statistical. American sports are always very statistics orientated, aren't they? And people get very nerdy about them. Mm. Um, and 
so you know you it's a very 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 short season in terms of the actual action but an enormous content generator in terms of kind of revenue through television and uh, and so on so i think that's probably what the kind of plan was 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 to to generate a huge kind of televisual kind of every game being a kind of big event that's talked about mm-hmm. you know game week you know shows leading up to it and so on Again, in, in, again, entirely televisual. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's basically absolutely. seeing it as a TV medium rather than a live medium. And in a I way, the live so, games, yeah. the live games support the the television sort of iteration of that game. You know, and and that that's why it sort of makes the sort of remarks by the Real Madrid chairman sort of so. Um, you know, stupid. It's like these if these teams have sort of leveraged themselves into so much debt and then sort of blame the game for not making them enough money. You know, you got yeah. the game's been fucking here for a long time, decades before you fucking turned up and yeah. people sort of did okay by it. If it doesn't make enough money, it's like kind of going, oh, I'd like to be able to monetize nitrogen, which is sort of in the air. People will kick a fucking football around <laughs> all the time. If you're going, oh, this concept, this sort of sport where 11 blokes play each other, we can't sort of make enough money out of it. Why don't you just make the fucking amount of money that's there to be made out of it rather than going, oh, that's not enough, we need more. And that would start with not playing this sort of, Norwegian man child a million yeah, pounds exactly. a week. Exactly. Don't exactly. fucking do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's well, like there was, you know, um, there's a, there was a time in the early 90s when uh, adverts were incredibly lucrative things for actors to do. I did one for Pizza Hut and I got like a couple of grand. But then when they started doing that, um, you know, when the one with Gareth Southgate and Stuart Pearce, always oh, hit the post, that one. They had a little run of having sort of celebs in Pizza Hut adverts. And at the time, I knew Caroline Quentin, who was sort of in Men Behaving Badly, probably at the time, and maybe even Jonathan Creek as well. And um, she didn't like doing it. She didn't want to do adverts. And she got offered 100000 to do a Pizza Hut advert. And in order to... Um, sort of stick two fingers up she told her agent uh to ask for twice as much and they said yes she got two hundred thousand pounds to act in a commercial now that doesn't happen there was a sort of reset there was it involved actors going on strike and sort of uh scab labor acting in adverts and stuff but there was a big reset that literally doesn't happen anymore. People do an ad and they might get like six grand or something. You know, well, they just yeah. don't get 70 grand or 40 grand or 35 grand or 200 grand. They just don't get that. They get like six or seven or something like that, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the kind of, it's not, it's not just, it is about money. It's the whole kind of, you know, price of everything, value of nothing uh, things. I mean, years ago, I read a book, um, about the history of West Ham United by an American academic called Charles Kaur. Um, uh, it's a very, very good book. I think it's just called West Ham United. I, 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 I lent it to someone and never got it back. Um, but I remember that um, yeah, he begins that book by telling the story of the Brooklyn Dodgers, who, of course, in sometime in the 50s oh, or yeah, 60s, yeah. were just moved by their owner to look because it was sunnier and not you know to the yeah. and literally the first thing the fans knew about it was turning up at the stadium to kind of renew their season tickets and there were just signs up we've moved to LA the other side of the country yeah Oakland, and I was reminded of that with you know the, the lack of consultation with anybody before this announcement came reminded me of that but it also you know, he the point he makes in the book is that oh this couldn't happen in England because in England, sport is rooted in working class football, in particular, is work, rooted in working class culture. But West Ham is a team rooted in its East End environs and its and its history and where it's come from um, of that kind of Docklands heritage, and that you know, and that all the you know, you, you can see it in the nicknames, not silly kind of silly stout stick on names that. American like Titans or Jaguars or whatever the American teams have. You know, English teams have nicknames rooted in the industrial heritage of the places they come from. And mm. this, you know, and, and badges that, rec- that reflect that. And, and um, you know, and, and you have generations of fans brought up with, with the culture of their club, you know. Um, we know as West Ham fans that we're a London team, but we're very different from Chelsea. And we know that, you know. Um, 
and we understand that. That's racist. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's striking how many of those chairmen don't go to games. I mean, Abramovich occasionally. Yeah. He's, he's not allowed in the country anymore, is he, Abramovich? No, he can't go to many, but I don't think anyone's <laughs> ever actually seen the clubs. Yeah. Think about um, at least Gold and Sullivan do actually go to games. I think they've realised how angry the fans would have been, say, if they'd signed up for it. They've issued a statement today, belatedly. Yeah. Yeah. You wonder, what would they... I mean, do we think, would they... What would have Everton, West Ham, Leicester have done if they'd have been invited, do you think? I think they would have bitten their hands off. Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. Aaron Brady probably would. Jim, yeah. sort of for, for a long time, for decades, you've sort of posited the idea that there would be a kind of closed, there would eventually be a closed circuit football yes. sort of thing. You know, I, I, I can remember you saying that, that it might yeah. have, you know, like it might include sort of Rangers and Celtic at the time and sort of, you yeah. know, kind of maybe some of the bigger, even possibly the more traditionally big English clubs because they get a lot of fans going. So, you know, Forest and Wednesday and uh, Leeds um, would be in there as well. And uh, that there would possibly be a closed circuit of European teams that sort of play each other. And so it's funny because I, I sort of remember you saying that, yeah. God, 20 years ago, 25 years yeah. ago. Uh, well, it just tried seems to, make to me, it yeah, it just seems to me that once you, once, once you turn the thing into fundamentally a business and you have owners coming into clubs, Buying them as investments, not because they love the club or they've got they've got a passion for the sport or any kind of understanding of the culture from which it comes from. Which I suppose the point is, is you know, that, like this Charles Cobb book is is making. Um, uh, it just felt that that's where we're headed. I still think it'll be where we go. I mean, this 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 is looks like it's collapsing spectacularly, and therefore, as I think uh, as Dan has said, possibly gives us the chance to reset. To all take a step back and say, look, we don't want these people owning football clubs. We we need to look at the rules that govern how someone gets to own a Manchester United or a Liverpool or a, or, yeah. or even a smaller club. You know, the Americans own Burnley now, don't they? I mean, you know, they're mm. they're kind of buying them up. You know, a lot of people have been sort of hoping that Gold and Sullivan sell, but to who? You know, who's going to yeah. buy a five hundred million pound football club, and why will they want to buy it? And it, it's Saudi Arabia. We've, we've really mm. got to take a step back and say, what what do we want out of our game, out of this, you know, uh, and and um, and that this there has been this momentary coming together of opposition, hasn't there? Of people who wouldn't, you know, I I I found myself, you know, loving loving Gary Neville, which I, I just <laughs> never thought I would ever oh. ever do. Um, I you know cheered when <clears throat> Leeds equalised against Liverpool, not just because. They helped West Ham out, but because I wanted them all to lose that fucking. I wanted their noses rubbed. I wanted an instant demonstration of why closed shop football would be such a bad idea. I just, um, I think if that if it had gone ahead, I just think the way uh, the players uh, and those clubs would be treated at away grounds and just sort of on social media and stuff would be just. Awful. I think. I think there would be players that would be, you know, worried about it and would not would be yeah. would think twice about going to Manchester United because every time you go and play um, West Ham, every time you go and play, you know, a team that didn't get in that, you just get shit from the fans and personal shit. You know, when you play for England, the club. You know, the, if there were England players that were in that six teams that are in the Super League, they're just going to get shit from the fans, I think. It would be a nightmare. I think it would just be a nightmare. Which I think is why the reaction of a lot of the, the, I mean, the you know, vast majority of the fans of these six clubs has been so encouraging in a way. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and a positive thing. And one of the reasons why I'd be wary, Dan, about how severe the punishment yeah. might be, because the, the real the real guilty bastards here these money grabbing owners they're not the the whole you know it's not the edifice of of liverpool football club or or or, or arsenal football club they're not really you know arsenal have had beef sports have had beef with Cronky or whatever his name is for for a long while haven't they so mm. it's it's um 
we could be careful we don't unfairly target the wrong people. No, no. <laughs> Um, true, true, but at the same time, something has to be done. I mean, you know, Rangers fans were equally punished when their team was plummeted through the leagues, mm-hmm. you know, through no yeah. fault of their own. You know, they, there is precedent for this, and yeah, I feel for those other fans as well. Um, but something, something has to be done, and you know, we can't just kind of like back out of this and just go okay well we'll forget it never happened like it was some sort of fever dream i mean i, I agree i totally you know, agree i mean what the, the next time the, the the premier league chairman meet up i mean what what's going to happen what they're going to say i mean imagine like the, the ignominy of, of surrendering the moral high ground to david sullivan and having him come <laughs> over you, like making out that he's some sort of saint i mean oh god i just I, I just can't imagine where it goes from um well, there was a leak, wasn't there, out of the meeting that took place today that was that was mentioned by one of those buds on Sky Sports. Um, and I think it was along the lines that the the Premier, the 14 Premier League clubs are still very keen to work with the six other clubs, but that certain individuals would not be welcome in the room. Yeah. Mm. And I think, you know, in, in the end, I, I think really we want these Glazer, these these you know, these American um, super rich, just, just you know, leeches. We want them. John out. Terry. We want don't, want, don't want him in the room. We certainly don't want him. Don't want John Terry in the room. <laughs> but we, you know, is there, can we force them out? Can they be forced out? I don't know. Will they now want to get get rid? If they can't realise their, their franchise dream, what's the point of them investing in? And, and they're, they're leaking money after the pandemic and and, and the, the Champions League can't satiate their greed, um, will they go anyway? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I suppose we'd better get back to West Ham and talk about what we think might happen in uh, the game of football that's going to take place on Saturday between uh, West Ham United and uh, the racist, the aforementioned racist Chelsea. Uh, um, um, nil-nil with Brighton at half-time, by the way. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Uh, so the results helped us as well, didn't they? I mean, you know, the uh, the Everton Spurs draw helped us. Liverpool drawing, you know, yes. in, in our potential yeah. chase for Champions League football. You know, we uh, we lost that game of the weekend, but actually results kind of favoured us. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Predictions. Jim. Oh, just a pretty. Oh, right, just a pure prediction, or do you want me to? No, let's uh, let's come up with sure, a let's detailed chat about rationale. It. Let's chat about it for a bit. Yeah, detailed rationale, please, Jim. <laughs> detailed rationale from all of you, gentlemen, because I I haven't prepared anything. <laughs> um, well, uh, I think it, it's it's another cup final. Um, uh, we've got Ogbonna back. I don't know. It depends a little bit. Depends on who's injured and who's fit, who can walk, um, yeah. uh, let alone run. Um, I think we will play with with the kind of passion and commitment that we that we played with in the second half against um, against Newcastle, um, and I think we'll get something out of it. I really do. I think we've we've done quite well against Chelsea in in recent years. We should have done better in the away game. We did the double over them last season. Um, they struggled to they'll struggle to cope with us at set pieces. Uh, one all. One all. One all. Uh, Pete, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I think it's done us a, a, a favour in a way, all the Super League debate. I mean, I do think the players are going to be even more fired up now. I mean, hopefully, I think Cresswell might be back, which would make a difference mm. uh, as a third centre-back. Uh, I assume Antonio and Rice will be out. I think Yarmolenko's on the bench. So I wonder what happened to Masuaku. Yeah, he had uh, fluid on the knee or something. Oh, right. It oh, sounds like it, it wasn't going to be long term, so he can't right. be back. But um, yeah, I think I think we'll get a draw as well. Um, you can't have one all. Nil nil. Nil nil. Right. Okay. Dan, what do you I was, think? I was going to go for one all, and then I was going to go for nil nil. So Dan, Dan, I've <laughs> Dan, I've been over this with you. <laughs> Why won't you listen to me? I don't uh, make the rules, Dan. I, th- I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be another tough game. I think um, you know Chelsea are just a really good defensive side. You know they 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 don't concede many goals, um, and 
I think we'll we'll struggle. I'd be I'd be much more confident if Rice was in the team. Yeah, obviously. Um, I think you know as I think Noble's been great the last couple of games. You know, ropey little first half on on um, the weekend. But I think what's really been shown is how much we miss Rice. How much yeah, protection oh, yeah. he gives the bat sure. for, and how he carries the ball forward and just gets us playing. Um, you know, we had all those years where. You know, we 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 kind of suffered from having such a poor midfield. Yeah, and, and we were meant to sign so many of those strong midfielders that we never did. For most of this season, we've had two pretty much world class players in our midfield. Yeah, we've reaped the benefits. The minute we've had one taken away, it, it's starting it's, to look pretty shaky. Yeah, it's hard again, and we're kind of going back to those days. So, um, so I, you know, I I would have gone with one one. Um, I would have gone with nil nil. I don't think I can go with two two, which means I'm going to have to go with like a one nil win. I think for West Ham. One nil win. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I I think it'll be three two to West Ham. Um, <laughs> just to continue the run of three two score lines, I'm going to yeah. say uh, West Ham United three, Chelsea two. Um, uh, yeah, you know, um, yeah, they've had a week's rest. Uh, apparently, Lingard. It was just cramp at the end of it, you know, because like you know they all had to run a lot more, didn't they? For, um, you know, for being ten men for nine, for sixty minutes. Um, I thought Bowen had a good game. I thought Bowen was good. You know, uh, he'll be up for it. So yeah, yeah, yeah they were great. I mean, it, three two. It, yeah. All right. Well, that's probably that's probably it for this week's uh, stop hammer time. My name is Phil Whelans, and uh, with me I've been as always Jim Grant. Cheerio. Pete May. Thanks. And Dan Silver. Come on, you irons. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.